ready to hear the word? You're in for a very special treat today. The speaker has been a friend of Yvette's for over two years. Her name is Kyla Cassis. She's actually a resident of Hood County and is part of a congregation in Benbrook called the Church of Benbrook. She is currently a Overland Missions Venues Director for Overland Missions, with whom she has served for six years. She's a woman of missions and outreach, but also a person of the word. She has her bachelor's in theology, her master's in divinity, and is currently working on her doctorate in theological studies. Kyla, let's show her some love and appreciation. Thank you so much for coming. I am so excited to be with you all today. I have, like he was saying, I've known Pastor Yvette for around two years now. Um, I, it's funny, I probably have a very similar story to all of you as to how I met Yvette. Number one, the fir- I think the first time that I ever met her, I actually had um, a, f- a couple of friends who had a house on the lake. And they're like, hey, there's a, there's a Bible study that we can actually get in our boat and take the boat over to this house, park at the dock, and there's a Bible study happening there. First of all, I've never heard of any of this before in my life. I'm like, what in the world? You can take a boat to a Bible study. I've never heard of that. So we get on the boat, we go over there, and we, we park at the dock, we go inside, and of course, that's, you know, there's a wonderful group of people. Um, I think it might have been a house fires. I'm not for sure. Um, but that's where I first met Yvette. Then we we get to talking and we happen to have a couple people of mutual friends, as I'm sure many of you do with Yvette, because she's very well known. And then actually what happened was just, so I've been to a couple of firehouses. I've, uh, I've met with her several times, but just this past month or month and a half, something like that, I went to a Bible study in my neighborhood. So my neighborhood, it's a gated community. It's not like, um, like anyone can just kind of come in. And there's a Facebook group that says, um, hey, I'm having a Bible study at this location in the neighborhood. So I'm like, okay, great. That's a great place to meet people in the neighborhood, right? So I show up to this Bible study. Yvette does not live in this neighborhood, keep in mind. And the first person that I see when I walk in is Yvette. And so it just so happens every Bible study that I go to, every small group that I go to, any type of ministry event that I go to, Yvette is there. And so um, it, it just feels like all roads lead back to Yvette. So um, it's, it's been amazing getting to know her, getting to know Pastor Allen. Um, and I'm just, I'm blessed and honored to be here this morning. So I wanted to thank both of you for having me, for having our team, um, and just welcoming us with open arms. So um, like Pastor Allen was saying, I am a missionary with Overland Missions. Um, basically, our organization, just to give you kind of some background, is a we, we seek to go to the most rural, remote, neglected people in the world. And so right now, um, we are rapidly expanding, but in this current moment, we are in 16 different nations, um, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons, all of those different things to see the gospel expanded to the ends of the earth. And so that's, that's our heart. That's our goal. 
Um, in a lot of areas, we have to take large military trucks because the roads that we're going on are not even roads that, that are drivable. A lot of times we have to take axes. We're chopping down trees. We're crossing small rivers to get to these places, honestly, that a lot of times the government doesn't even know exists. And so we're going out. We're sharing the gospel with these people. And that's our heart is just to see the gospel of Jesus Christ expanded in the nations. So yeah, I just want to get started by praying and then we can jump into the word God. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come this morning, Lord, that your name would be glorified, that you would just open the ears of your people, that you would just open the eyes of your people. God, right now, in Jesus' name, I break off every spirit of timidity, every every spirit of fear, every spirit that's bringing confusion. In the name of Jesus, I break you off right now. And I thank you, God, for clarity. I thank you, God, for boldness. I thank you, God, that you would just come and reveal yourself, that you would reveal your character to your people in the name of Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I'm sure being the church of Pastor Allen and Yvette, that most of you have heard that on September 15th, we entered into a new year on the Hebrew calendar. So how many of you know that it is the year 5784 on the Hebrew calendar? I see some people raising their hands, nodding their heads. What this means is, is that this is the year of open doors. And so I believe that, that the word of the Lord this morning, and yes, I'm a missionary and I'm going to be sharing about the nations, but I believe that, that God has given a word for this point of time, for this year, for this year of open doors, for this season of when God is bringing multiplication. I believe that he's given us a key to walk in that multiplication that he's bringing to us. And, you know, you know, I think that a lot of times it's difficult to understand that God moves in times and seasons because we're all individuals. And what's so amazing about God is that he can speak to every single one of us individually right now. He can speak to you, but yet at the same time, he can speak a general word over the entire body of Christ and somehow it relates to every single person. And so I believe that this word that I'm going to share this morning is something that God has, play, has laid on my heart and said, this is the word of the Lord for the body of Christ in this season. And so this word that I, that I want to present to you is, is all about this open door season. It's all about this multiplication that God is bringing to the body of Christ. But there's one key that we have to have if we want to enter into this season, if we want to enter into this multiplication. And that key is the fear of the Lord. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. Um, I was actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading in the book of Acts. I was reading chapter 9, and I came across verse 31. And it says, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of God, they were multiplied. And I read that, and I don't know if many of you are like mathematical people, but I kind of think in equations sometimes. So I'm going to give you a couple of equations today. Um, they're simple. They're not, they're not division. They're not complex math. It's just addition. So if you can get that, then hopefully you can follow me today. But the, the thing that God just stuck out to me when I read that was the fear of the Lord plus the comfort of God equals multiplication. 
right? There's not, it's not a formula. There's no formulas in the kingdom of God, but there are laws of the spirit. There are, you know, it talks about in Romans, the law of the spirit. There is a way that God does things. There is a protocol in which God does things that actually releases the multiplication or the favor that he wants you and desires for you to walk in. And so that's what we're going to be talking about is the fear of the Lord plus the comfort of God equals multiplication. Um, if you desire to walk through new doors of favor or multiplication or increase of any degree, this is the key for you. You have to know what is the fear of the Lord and what is the comfort of God. And so we see that the fear of the Lord is key, but I think before jumping into that, that's where I want to focus is on the fear of the Lord. But I want to just briefly talk about what is the comfort of God so that you can kind of see how this equation plays out. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is not the same as worldly or earthly comfort that we receive ourselves. It, it's not us going up to a friend who's mourning and giving them a side hug and saying, I'm so sorry that this is happening to you. Let me bake you cookies. Hopefully this makes you feel better. That's not the comfort of God. The comfort of God does not leave you where you're at. The comfort of God does not look in your situation and say, you have to stay here and I'm just going to give you a hug to make you feel better while you're in that. The comfort of God comes and changes every single thing that we're struggling with. It comes in and it shifts to atmospheres. It comes in and it changes situations. You know, we see in Luke 2.25, it says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This word consolation is the same word for comfort. So do you know what the, do you know what this is saying? I'm trying to give a definition to the comfort of God. That word consolation, what they, when they called Jesus the consolation of Israel, they were saying he is the one who is going to come and bring freedom to our nation. He is the one who is going to come and bring freedom to his people. He's going to be the one that comes and changes the government that we're under, that, that we're submitted to, that he comes and overrules and overrides that current government that we're currently submitted under. They believed that Jesus was, was going to come and every promise that was in the Old Testament, they believed that their Messiah was going to come and fulfill every covenant promise that he had promised. So what this means is that the comfort of God is not just a pat on the back or a side hug, but the comfort of God is actually the fulfillment of everything that he has ever promised you. So what this is saying is the fear of the Lord plus the comfort of God, the fulfillment of his promises equals multiplication. So what that says to me is that there's only one part that we have to play in that. We have nothing to do whether or not God fulfills his promises. That, that's, his, that's his side of the deal. But our side of the deal is the fear of the Lord. And so we have to know what is this fear of the Lord and how do we walk in it. We can see this happening in, in Acts 1 and 2, talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if you remember in the Gospels, Jesus says, stay here until I come and fill you with power from on high. So they stayed, they obeyed what he said, they stayed there. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, when they're waiting in the upper room for the fulfillment of the promise, we see that the promise comes, 
that that G, that the Holy Spirit comes on them, fills them with tongues of fire. There's boldness. There's all of these things. The fulfillment of what was promised had now come. And then it says that the church grew by 3,000 souls that day. So this is the point of what I'm saying. Jesus gives the command and the promise. The command is stay here. The promise is until you're filled with power from on high. Their obedience was the fear of the Lord. They said, okay, we're staying in this upper room. We're worshiping and praying as long as we have to. They stayed and they obeyed. That was their part, the fear of the Lord. Then we see that the Holy Spirit falls, which is the comfort of God saying, look, I've come to do what I said I was going to do. I told you that I was going to fill your, your old men with dreams and your young men with visions. I told you in Joel chapter two, that this is what was going to happen. And here I am confirming what I said would happen. And then we see, of course, that the, the multiplication, the church grew by 3000. We see multiplication. Again, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I'll show you another example. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And then we can skip down even to verse uh, 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So we see in verse 42, they continued in the apostles' instruction. This was obedience. The fear of God came upon them. And it says, many signs and wonders followed. This is the comfort of God. So they obeyed what the, the apostles' instruction. There's obedience. Fear of the Lord came upon them, and as a result, the comfort of God came through signs, wonders, and miracles, and then it says that the church grew daily. This is over and over and over through the Bible. I don't have time to list them all, but I have an entire sheet of all the times that only I've seen, and I, I mean, I haven't been looking into this for very long, but there's all over the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, we see this formula coming out, fear of Fear of the Lord plus the comfort of God equals multiplication. And one of the reasons that I want to talk about this today, you're wondering how does this relate to missions? If we don't have a fear of the Lord, we will have a fear of man. If we don't have the fear of the Lord, we're going to be worried about sleeping on the ground. If we don't have a fear of the Lord, we're going to be worried about, well, what does that person think about me? Well, I'm not equipped to preach. Well, I'm not equipped to, to, you know, do this, this large work for the Lord or whatever it is. If you don't have the fear of God, you will fall into the fear of man. And so I just want to go through and kind of define what the fear of the Lord is, why we should seek it, and give a couple of practical ways to begin to walk in that. And so starting out with a definition, the fear of the Lord is not to be fearful. It's not the same as earthly fear. Second Timothy 1.7 says, He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So it's not to be fearful of something. But on the surface level, we know that the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of all wisdom. We know that it is to be sought after. We see all over Proverbs. It is to be sought after. It is to be desired. But to give a more, I guess, precise meaning, I want to kind of put some, I want to go through the word and just kind of put some puzzle pieces together to give a real definition of what is the fear of the Lord. Um, let's see. So starting in... 
Jeremiah 32, 39 through 41. You can turn there. We're going to be there for just a bit. Um, I, I believe that the word outlines two different components of the fear of the Lord. So Jeremiah 32, verse 39 says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. So the Bible says there's one heart and one way to fear that leads to the fear of the Lord. Okay, so remember, I said I'm an equation person. I'm a math person. What I see here is one heart plus one way equals fear of the Lord. Very simple. That's what I'm seeing. So what this says is the heart behind your fear of him and the way that you do it matters. Okay, so we're going to get into that. The first component is the heart. That word heart The meaning of that is inner man, mind, will, heart, or understanding. And so what this is speaking of is our understanding of God. This is the way that we view God. When it says one heart and one way that leads to the fear of the Lord, it's saying there's there's an understanding of God that you must have if you want to walk in a true biblical fear of the Lord that eventually leads to multiplication. So we see, let's, let's look at what is that heart that we must have. Jeremiah 32 verse 40 says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts. Okay, do you see what this is saying? It's saying he has covenanted to do good to us that we might fear him. He has covenanted to do good to us that we might fear him. This goodness that he's covenanted with us is his inability to be unfaithful. It's his inability to not be good. It's his inability to not fulfill every promise that he has ever given to us. This is the, this is the heart that we must have. We must understand he is good. We must understand he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We must understand that he is desiring to do good to us. That is who he is. He wants to bless you. He wants to multiply you. He wants to bring favor to your life. He wants you healed. He wants you whole. You have to have this understanding. If you're ever going to walk in multiplication, if you're ever going to walk in increase, you have to have that revelation that he is good and that he's covenanted to do good to you. So the first component of the fear of the Lord, which is our heart towards him, speaks of the revelation or understanding that we have of his goodness. So how, how does this differ from how we have viewed the fear of the Lord in the past? Do you, do you fear him because he's powerful and scary? Do you fear him because he has the ability to make you perish at any moment? Do you fear him because you're, you're scared that something is going to happen to you if you don't follow him? Is that why we fear him? Or do you fear him because you're saying, wow, God, you're good. I'm actually scared to not be in your covenant promises. I'm actually scared to be fearful of anything more than I am, more than I understand your goodness in my life. Does that make sense? This is why Matthew 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Your heart matters. The way that you view him matters. Okay, so that's the first component is the heart. The second component is the way. 
There's one heart plus one way that leads to the fear of the Lord. So our understanding of God and his goodness plus the way of the Lord. So let's see what is the way of the Lord. Genesis 18 verse 19 says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. This, this is so good to me. When I, you know, when I read, when I read the word of God, it's, it truly is like a puzzle to me. And if you're, if you're reading the Bible and it's not fun to you, there's something wrong. If you're reading the Bible and you're not just like all the time, you're not reading the Bible correctly. You know, the, the Bible says in, in uh, Proverbs 25, I think verse 2, that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. And this, I, this like comes to life in me. When I read the Bible, I'm like, I just feel like I'm constantly putting puzzle pieces together. And I'm like, I'm like, I find a treasure and I, I put it here. And then I, I'm like looking for this other buried treasure and then I find it and it all just adds together. And when I read this, I was like, oh my gosh, this clearly just outlines what the way of the Lord is. It just defines it right there for you. So what I see is the way of the Lord is by doing righteousness and justice, in other words, obedience to what he has spoken. And then what it says is, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Exactly what we've been reading. Exactly. Fear of the Lord, the understanding that he is good, the understanding that he has covenanted good to, to do good to us, that he has covenanted to fulfill every promise that he's ever spoken. Plus, obedience to what he says leads to a fear of the Lord. Let's see. I think that sometimes we, we hear the word obedience and there's a negative connotation to that. And it's because if, if you have a negative connotation when you hear the word obedience, it's because you don't first understand that he's good. You have to have that revelation first and foremost. That has to be the center point of your faith. God is good. That has to be the center point of your obedience. Because if you believe that he's not good and you're walking in obedience to that, that's when you fall into religion. That's when you fall into a works-based mentality that gets you nowhere. Other, it's like running on a treadmill. You're not going anywhere, but you're working very hard at it. We have to know that he is good. We have to have that revelation. Jeremiah 32, 40 through 41, it says, I will give them one heart, understanding, and one way, obedience, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they will not turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. So he makes an everlasting covenant with us that he will not turn away from doing good to us. This puts the fear of God in our hearts that we don't turn away from him. In, in Zambia, um, probably one of my first, I think it was, yeah, it was actually my first trip to Zambia. Um, I met this, my team and I, we met this woman who had been paralyzed for, I think, 10 years from the waist down. And we, we showed up to her house and she, 
I mean, her legs literally had no muscle tone at all. If you've ever seen where the, the legs are kind of almost deformed like this because they just hadn't been used in 10 years, completely paralyzed, had no feeling whatsoever. And uh, we, you know, we went up to her. We decided we're going to pray for her. We're going to see you healed. We're so excited. We go, we pray for her. Nothing happens. We, we go back the next day. We're like, you know what? We're going to be persistent because that's what God asks us to do. We show up again. We pray for her. Nothing happens. We're a little bit discouraged, or I am at least. I won't speak for everyone else. I was a little bit discouraged. I, we go back to camp that night. And I had a dream. And in the dream, if you've ever seen someone who's been hurt, like on a football field or something, and there's two of their teammates on either side of them, kind of with their arms around them, and they're kind of, you know, limping, but they're, they are walking. And so in my dream, this is what I see happening. And I'm like, guys, I wake up the next morning, and I'm like, guys, we have to go back. We have to go back and pray for this woman, because I believe that God wants her healed. And so we, we go back the next day, we pray. Honestly, we're probably there at least for an hour and a half, maybe longer. We're not seeing healing. We're not seeing anything, but we stay and we're like, we know that this is what God wants for you. People are prophesying over her, all of these things. And probably an hour and a half to two hours later, exactly what I see in my dream happens where there's two people with arms around her and she's walking. And remember her legs were literally like this. So even for her to just be moving her legs is a miracle. And we're like, yes, God is good. She, she's like, okay, well, you know, you know, now she has faith. And she's like, my, my nephew or my grandson, I think it was her grandson. My grandson is also not, he's not well, his eyes, he's blind. Like in, in, it wasn't full blindness, but maybe one of his eyes he couldn't see out of. So she, we're like, okay, let's pray for him. You pray for him now. We're not going to pray. You pray for him. You lay hands on him. And she lays hands on him and he's healed. The point of what I'm saying though, is the, when we prayed for her the first time, it would have been easy when we didn't see her healed to just write it off and be like, okay, I guess that's not the will of God. We could have gone home. We could have gone to the next house. We probably would have seen healing in the next house. We would have seen salvation. We would have had a better story. But we said, no, we're going to go back. We believe that God is good. We believe that this is the will of God for her to be healed. We're going to go back. We go back the next day. Nothing happens. And we're, we do get a little bit discouraged. But what happens is because we were obedient to go back again, because we were obedient and persistent to go back and continue praying for her, God confirmed his promise promise, the comfort of God came in a dream and said, I am going to fulfill every promise that I've given in the word of God. The word says that you lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And he gave me a dream and said, I am going to be faithful to that. I am faithful to every word that I've ever promised. So we go back and we say, okay, we believe that God's going to do this. And what happened? Not only was she healed, her grandson was also healed. There was multiplication. Do you see how this happens? So the fear of the Lord is not being scared of not obeying him because something bad will happen if we don't. You know, I, I'm not denying that God has judgments and all of those things. I'm not denying his, his just nature. I'm not denying that. But what I am saying is that all of those components of God, all of those characteristics of God are wrapped up into one word, good. We see in Exodus 33... 
verse 18 to 19, Moses says to God, show me your glory. And God's, God replies and says, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Moses says, show me your glory. And he says, okay, I'll show you my goodness. His goodness is his glory. Then we see in Exodus 34, four through seven, it described this goodness that he was talking about. It says, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So remember, this is what he's describing as his goodness. What I'm about to say, this is the goodness of God. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is who he is. This is his character. This is who he has outlined for us in the word of God. What do we see here? We see mercy. We see long suffering. We see patience. We see love. We see justice. We see righteousness. All of those things are wrapped up into one word and that is good. That's the point of what I'm trying to make. He is good. And so it's the goodness of God that leads us to fear him. And we fear him because we don't want to be outside of these new covenant promises. You know, the Bible says his kindness leads us to repentance. It's not meant to be you're scared of him and it leads you to repentance. His kindness, his goodness, his patience, that leads you to repentance because you can't look at something, you can't look at his goodness, you can't look at his love, you can't look at his kindness and not be repentant of not walking in the fullness of what that has paid for you to walk in. The fear of the Lord or understanding his goodness is the beginning of wisdom, right? That's what the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because if you understand his goodness, you will not fear anything else. If you understand his goodness, you're not going to be fearful of going without. You're not going to be, you're not going to be with lack because he is your provision. If you understand his goodness, you will walk in the fulfillment of every promise that he has ever given. He will be your provision. He will be your healing. If you understand his goodness, you will wholeheartedly obey him because you know that his plan for your life is better than anything else that you could have dreamt up for yourself. So I'm going to give a final definition of the fear of the Lord. After going through all of these things, I'm going to give you a final definition. This is my, my definition that I would say. The fear of the Lord is submitting your ways to his in obedience through a revelation of the goodness of Christ and his inability to be unfaithful to his covenant. I'll say it one more time. The fear of the Lord is submitting your ways to his in obedience through a revelation of the goodness of Christ and his inability to be unfaithful to his covenant. Okay, I'm going to simplify this for my math people. One heart plus one way equals the fear of the Lord. In other words, the revelation of his goodness plus obedience equals the fear of the Lord. Okay, so how, how do we fear the Lord? Let's get practical. How can we take steps to walking in this fear of the Lord where we understand who he is? Number one, I would say the first thing that we need to do is remember his goodness. 
Fear of the Lord must be learned and taught through remembrance. This seems like it's very, like it's very basic. It is. It is meant to be basic. That the, the word of God, it's the simple gospel, right? It's not meant to be, we're not doing algebra here. We're doing some addition. We're not doing algebra. It's a simple, it's a simple concept to get. We have to be intentional about remembering his goodness. You know, in, in the Old Testament, there were um, memorial stones that were set up to say, when, when they passed this location, they would set up, like if God was faithful in, in an area, they would set up some stones. They would put them on top of each other, and it was a memorial stone. Every time they passed that location and saw those stones, they would remember that's where God fulfilled his promises. Every time they would pass through the Jordan, they would, remember, they would see the stones erected there, and they would say that's where God allowed us to pass through on dry land. Every time that they, that they passed the Ebenezer, they would see it and they would say, that's where God handed the Philistines into our hands. Every time that, the, that Jacob would pass through Bethel, he would say, that's where I wrestled with the Lord and that's where I encountered him. And so we have to have in our personal lives, every individual here has to have memorial stones that you set up and you say, I'm going to be intentional about remembering what he has done. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to set, this is a memorial stone in my life that every time that I see it, that every time that I walk past it, I remember he is good. He is faithful to what he's done. An example of this for me, um, Actually, Courtney and I, a year or so ago, were in a car accident. We were driving on the way to church in Benbrook. Um, so we're on this highway right here. And as we were driving, her back tire blew, and we spun out several times on the highway, went down, and went through, we went through a fence. And honestly, we were going, I mean, we we're going fast. We're on the highway. We should, we definitely should have flipped because we went down into like a ditch and then through the fence. We should have flipped. We should have been seriously injured. But the point of what I'm saying is we were completely fine. And there's still a hole in that fence to this day. Every time that I drive past that hole, that is a memorial stone to me that says God is faithful. He is good. He is a, he is a provider. He is my protector. And so it's, if you ever want to look for the hole, it's right past Crescent. You, you can't miss it. But, um, every time I see that hole in the fence, it's a, it's a reminder to me that he is good, it, that he is faithful. You know, another memorial light, a, mo- a memorial stone that I have in my life is actually my brother. And he's here with me this morning. Praise God. But he, when he was eight years old, had a, um, disease called HLH. And, um, it, I mean, it was horrible. They actually told us, we wish that we could tell you that, that it was cancer and that it was leukemia. And, um, long story short, he needed a kidney transplant, needed a liver transplant, needed a bone marrow transplant to live. And God had other plans and he didn't have to have any of those transplants completely healed. Now he's 18 years old, sitting here with me right now, um, in college. But he's a memorial stone to me. Every time that I look at him, I'm like, that's the faithfulness of God. That's the God that I know. That's the goodness of God. So guess what? When sickness tries to come into my family, I just look at the memorial stone. And I'm like, not this time. It's not happening. It's not happening because I know his character. I know his nature. He is good. 
And so what is your memorial stone? It doesn't have to be something that extreme. It can be a house that God provided for you when you shouldn't have had the income to purchase it. It can be a car. It can be, you know, your, it can be anything to do with finances. It can be a family member that was healed. It can be a husband or wife that God brought to you. It can be your children. It can be anything like that. But you have to be intentional about remembering or else you won't. Don't be like the children of Ephraim who turned their back in the day of the battle because they forgot the faithfulness of the Lord. Psalm 78, 9 through 11 says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and the wonders he had shown them. So this is what it's saying. Because they forgot his works, because they forgot that he was good, because they forgot who he was, they didn't obey him. And because they didn't obey him, they were afraid. Because they didn't fear him, they feared the enemy. And because they were afraid, they missed out on the victory that God had for them. God had victory in mind for them, but because they chose to fear the enemy rather than fearing God, because they didn't have a revelation of the goodness of God, that he was able to bring them through that battle into victory, they walked in defeat. And so everything is rooted in how we view him. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, you will have the fear of man. So that's the first thing. Be intentional about remembering his goodness. The second thing is look for ways to obey him. The fear of the Lord, which produces obedience because he's good and not because we're scared of what will happen if we don't, is a key component of multiplication. Do you desire... Um, multiplication in your ministry or in your spiritual journey. Look for a way to fear him or obey him in that regard. Look for a way. What, what is he calling you to do? Who is he calling you to pray for? Who is he call? you know, what are, what is he calling you to do? Be obedient to that. Do what he's asking you to do. Do you desire multiplication in your finances? Fear him by sowing what he's asking of you. Do you desire multiplication of healing? Fear him by laying hands on people, even if you look like a crazy person, even if you're embarrassed. Fear God more than you fear man. If you want to see healing, how are you ever going to see it unless you obey him? Luke 16 verse 10 says, he who is faithful in what is least is is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Um, a couple of weeks ago, as I was kind of praying over this revelation that I feel like the Lord gave me, I heard him say, you will find joy in obedience when you realize it's connected to a promise. And I just began thinking, because at first I was like, what does that mean? But I just kind of began thinking, you know, when you're younger, how many of you remember when you're younger and your mom says, go clean your room? You're not happy about that. You're angry. But if she says, I'm going to take you to McDonald's on Friday, if you clean your room every single day from here until Friday, you're actually going to go into your chores being excited because there's a promise connected to it. You're actually going to say, I'm excited to clean my room today because I know that I'm going to get to go to McDonald's on Friday. I know that there's a promise that's connected to my obedience if I obey. And so in the same way, we are not blind. We are blindly obeying because he is God and we do what he says. Point blank period. I'm not saying that you do it because you're getting something out of him. But what I am saying is that he is so good that there is a promise connected to every point of obedience 
If he's asking you to lay hands on the sick, it's because he's going to bring healing through you. If he's asking you to sow, it's because he wants to bless you with more so that you can continue sowing. There's always a promise connected to the obedience. That's why the Bible says that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And it also says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew that there was a promise and that promise allowed him to be obedient unto the point of death. And so if you are struggling with obedience because of sin, if you're walking in sin patterns, if you're walking, if you're apathetic towards the things of God, I just want to say to you, it's, it's because you don't know that he's good. It's because you don't have a revelation that he is good. If you're walking in fear, if you're walking in anxiety, whatever it is, it's because you don't have that revelation, that first heart posture that he's good. And if you don't have that heart posture, obedience is going to be miserable. If you don't understand that he's good, obedience is not going to be fun. So if you're in that place today where you're like, yeah, I'm being obedient, but like I'm not really enjoying it. There is a revelation for you to get today that he is good, that he loves you, that he is faithful, that he is faithful to every promise that he has ever given you. First thing is remember his goodness. Second thing is look for ways to obey him. Third one, last one, is that fearing the Lord is a result of intimacy. Psalm 25 verse 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. The secrets in the heart of God are reserved for those who fear him. The covenant promises of God are reserved for those who fear him. I'm sure everyone has read at some point or heard at some point the parable of the talents. There was one who was given five talents, one who was given two talents, and one who was given one talent. And the Bible says that every one of those servants multiplied what they were given. The one who was given five multiplied it double. The one that was given two multiplied it double. But it says that the one servant who was given only one talent buried his talent and it did not multiply. And then we can see where that picks up in Matthew 25, verse 24. It says, Then he who had had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Do Do you see what produced this fear in the servant? He had, he had a fear of him because he didn't know that he was good. He viewed him as harsh, and because he viewed him as harsh, there was no multiplication. Because the servant didn't have a revelation of the goodness and kindness of his master, he wasn't obedient to invest his talents. And because he wasn't obedi- obedient to invest his talents, what he had didn't multiply. It was actually taken from him. And so because he didn't fear the Lord, he walked in disobedience and lost his reward. This fear that I'm talking about is what sent Jesus. This fear of God is what sent Jesus to the cross. It's what turned Saul to Paul. It's, it's the motivating factor that was behind the expansion that we saw in the early church. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is, if that type of multiplication, if that type of favor, if that type of, of um, seeing the Lord provide for, his, for every promise that he's ever spoken can happen in that way, to that degree, with those men and women, what is on the other side of the fear of the Lord for you today? 
What type of multiplication are you looking for? What type of favor are you looking for? What type of encounter are you looking for? I can promise you it's on the other side of the fear of the Lord, of understanding that he's good and walking in obedience to him. There is freedom in the fear of the Lord. There is boldness in the fear of the Lord. There is favor in the fear of the Lord. And of course, there is multiplication in the fear of the Lord. And I just want to, I just want to ask you, I'm going to give a couple of, of stories that you can kind of grab hold of, but I just want to ask you, what is the Lord asking you to do today? What is he asking of you? What is he asking you to do today? You know, I shared the story about our, the car wreck that Courtney and I were in, but I, I didn't give you the full backstory of everything that had happened. There, so I want to do that. Months before we were in that car accident, I don't know how many months, probably four or five months before that, I had a dream, and in the dream, Courtney and I were at this used car part-like junkyard, basically. And we're walking through the junkyard, and all that there is is just a bunch of used car parts. And I look down, and I see this envelope. And I pick up the envelope, and inside the envelope, there was $14,000. And I turned and I handed it to Courtney. That was the end of the dream. So it, it meant nothing to me at the time. I shared it with her, but it was just like, whatever. Like, if God does something with it, great. Let's just put it on the shelf. It meant nothing to me. Months later, that actually before that, um, Courtney actually had it on her heart to sow a significant amount of money to, to a local ministry. And so she was obedient to that. She sowed the money. And I think it was literally like a week later, we were in that car wreck. And insurance did not cover the the damage that was done to her car. It was completely totaled. Insurance didn't cover it. So she had just sowed a significant amount of money. She had actually just bought a battery for her car, all kinds of stuff. And then suddenly everything is lost. Everything that she had put into it is lost, plus the money that she gave. And I can't speak for her, but I'm sure that in her mind, she was like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? I missed God. I wasn't supposed to sow that much. Like why, like that was a mistake. What am I doing? And a couple of months later, I think it, so we got in the wreck, I think in January, in March, a couple approached her and said, hey, can we have coffee? We want to share something with you. And so they get together for coffee. And as they're there, they slide an envelope across the table and they say, we just, we just want to bless you. We just feel like God has laid it on our heart to, to bless you. And so I'm not going to say the amount of money and everything, but, the, but she opens it and she looks at it and she shared with me um, the, the amount and everything. And I did the math and I realized that everything that she had sewed and put into her car and lost, and then I like did the math and what was given to her minus that amount that she lost was exactly $14,000. And with that, with that, with that money that was given, she was able to buy a car and some even. And so this, so this is, this is what I'm saying is that the promise of God came in a dream before months before the wreck even happened. I was given a dream, $14,000 car parts junkyard, right? I had no idea that that was going to happen. A couple of months later, God says, sow this money. She sows it out of obedience because she feared the Lord more than she feared anything else. She sowed it out of obedience. And then a a week later, the car wreck happens. But then we see the comfort of God come when exactly what I saw in my dream, the 14,000 came in. And that was the comfort of God saying, look, 
what, what I promised to you in advance, I promised you this and I am fulfilling everything that I've ever promised. And then we see the multiplication in her new car in, in all of the, of the um, increase that came to her life after that. We see that happening over and over and over. Even with, even with Abraham in Genesis 22, 1 through 18, the story of um, God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. We see that God, that God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son. And so Abraham says yes immediately. He's like, okay, I will do it. And it says that he was, as he was walking, he told his servants, he took Isaac and he's walking up the mountain and he says, we're going to worship and we will come back to you. And then after he says that, he goes up there, he bounds Isaac on the altar. And as he's about to sacrifice him, God says, Abraham, wait, don't do it. Don't lay a hand on that boy. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your only son from me. From me. And he looked and there was a ram that was caught by its horns in, in, the, in the bushes. And they sacrificed it and they worshiped God. But then the angel came and spoke to Abraham one more time and said, Because you have done this thing and not withheld your only son, blessing, hear, hear this, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants like the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Okay, so God promised, I'm just laying it out for you again. God promised Abraham in Genesis 15, 5. So this is way before he ever asks him to sacrifice Abraham way before God promises and says that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sand. We see this promise. Then we see God told him to sacrifice his son and he didn't bat an eye. He just said, okay, okay, I'll do it. Why? Because he knew that he was good. The Bible says that he knew that even if he did this, that God would just resurrect him. That, that was his thought process. God is so good that he must be asking this of me for a reason. And even if I sacrifice him, he must resurrect him. That's the thought process that Abraham had. He had a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord shows when he said to his servants, we will come back to you. He said, we're going to worship the Lord and we will come back to you. This was the fear of the Lord. He believed God is good. Even if I kill him and God has to resurrect him, we will come back to you. He believed in the promise of God. And then the angel says to him, now I know that you fear God. And he fulfills his promise and provides a ram. This is the comfort of God. Then we see the multiplication because we today are the sons and daughters of Abraham. We see that multiplication. And so if God can bring that multiplication in one man, what can he do in your life if you decide to fear the Lord today? What can he do in your life if you decide, I need to change my thought process towards him. I need to recognize that he is good. I need to, I need to just have a heart shift. I need to have a heart posture change to recognize that he is good and to walk in that obedience. What can he do in your life? What can he do? There's no limit to the things that God can do. There's no limit. And so what promises are waiting for you on the other side of radical obedience to what he's calling you to? I'm gonna, I think this is a good time to enter a little plug. 
So I'm just going to say, if you don't know what he's asking of you to do, come on a mission trip. (laughs) Come with us. Because I can tell you right now that he has given a command, go into all of the nations, and he's given the promise attached to that. When you go, there will be signs, wonders, and miracles that will follow you. So he's given the command. He's given the promise. Now it's time for you to walk in the fear of the Lord and just say, okay, I'm not comfortable sleeping on the ground. I'm not comfortable sleeping in a tent. I'm not comfortable flying across the country to, or across the world to a country that I've never been to. I'm not comfortable preaching the gospel. But if you walk in that obedience to what he has said, and let me just say that was a command for every person. That was not just a command towards pastors and missionaries. There is a hand that you can have in this. And so, of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a plug into that. But I want you to know that this isn't just for people who are going to the nations. This is for every single person in this room. Because God has given each of you promises in his word that you can hold on to. If only you would understand that he's good and walk in obedience to that. The only way to see the comfort of God, the only way to see signs, wonders, and miracles through you, fulfilled promises through you, is if you have such a fear of the Lord that your fear of everything else becomes microscopic. You should be more scared of not experiencing everything that he has for you than you are of anything else, than you are of anyone else's opinion, than you are of any lack that you could ever have, than you are of any fear that you could ever have. He is good. So if you want multiplication, if you want to walk into that open door season, you can have it. But it's on the other side of this fear of the Lord. And so I'm just going to ask you again, what is the Lord asking you to do today? What is he asking you to do? And so I'm just going to pray. And I just want, if you guys can just lead us in another song. Um, And I just want to pray and I just want you to evaluate what is an area, God, where I'm not viewing you as good? What is an area where I'm in fear because I don't know that you're faithful? What is an area that I'm walking in lack because I don't know that you want to provide for me? Where are those areas in your life? And so as as, uh, they lead us in this next song, I just want you to worship him, but I just want you to evaluate where are you at with that? What mindset needs to shift in your life? So God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you, God, that you are a rewarder of those who seek you. God, we thank you that you have greater plans for every person in this room than we could ever have for ourselves. God, we thank you that we don't have to walk in fear, that we don't have to walk in lack, that we don't have to walk in timidity. But God, that we can walk in the fullness of every promise that you've ever given to us, God. And so right now, Lord, we just call those promises in, in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, that you have a desire to show up. We thank you, God, that you have a desire to encounter us, to come and comfort us with your promises fulfilled in Jesus' name. God, show us where you want us to walk in obedience. Show us where you want us to lay things down at your altar so that you can do what only you can do, Lord. 
And so God, we just ask that you just illuminate those things, that you just illuminate those promises as we pray and as we worship you this morning, God. Holy Spirit, come, have your way. Do what only you can do, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.